All right. Let's have prayer together. Heavenly Father, we have declared that you are our God and that you are great over everything and over everyone. And we recognize you as our King. We ask that your Holy Spirit that was commissioned for days like this will customize a message for us that we might not just understand with our minds, but allow our hearts and our lives to be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. I was having a conversation this week with a pastor. He uh, asked to talk to me. We're in some workers' meetings. And I, I don't know this pastor from any other pastor. He said, uh, I would like to talk to you because I'm having an, a little problem in my church. I have a church of about 40 people. And I am concerned about the lack of evangelistic outreach in our community. And I want you to tell me, what can I do? And I said, all right, tell me a little bit about your church. And he started to tell me about his church. These were good people. It's in more of a rural retirement community, although there are young people in the town. And he said, over the last year, we haven't had any baptisms. Zero. And then he said two phrases that stuck with me. These two phrases that were said in passing, but reflect the state of North American Adventism. He said, my people are good Christians. They're just not evangelistic. I want you to, I'm just going to leave that hanging there for a moment, all right? And then he said, my people are conservative Adventists. They're just not into outreach. So here, here's, my, here's, here's the problem that I had with that, okay? Here's the problem that I had with that. How is it? that we have come to a place that you can be considered a good conservative Adventist and never bring anybody to Christ? How is it that we can say, yes, you are considered a good Adventist, but you do nothing to reach your community? How do we come to that place? Because for me... These are, these are mutually exclusive terms. You are either a good Christian and evangelistic or and not. <laughs> Can't. I mean, if you, say, if you say, I'm a conservative Adventist. If you're a conservative Adventist, I mean, I like conservative Adventists. I, I don't like kooky Adventists, but I like conservative Adventists. Most of my best friends are conservative Adventists. One of them is here. Uh, uh, it's a good, good, good friend uh, he's, who's a very conservative, but he's not kooky. Well, he's a little kooky because he's South African, but, but, <laughs> but, but not. 
if you're, if you're conservative Adventist, you believe and hold high in high esteem the ministry of Ellen White. And she says, it's impossible for a converted heart, first reaction, not to be to tell other people about Jesus. So, so what's the problem? What's the problem? If that is, if, if that's what, if that's what ails us, what's the problem? I think be, before I go there, I I, I just <laughs> before, before I go there, before I tell you the solution, this, this is this is just I just want to just open my heart because all of you are mature, you know, you're not like those guys that stay back home. You like you like the real good ones, right? And I'm, I'm just, this, this, I'm directing this towards leadership, pastors, and elders. I think that we should stop giving people a pass and say, you can be a leader, an Adventist, a person in charge, but you have nothing to do with bringing people to Jesus. I think that we make, we give, we... We, we lower the gospel by saying it's fine as long as you eat the right things and don't work on Sabbath and pay your tithe, but you don't do anything that's evangelistic, you are considered a good Adventist. I think that is non-biblical, is anti-gospel, and it's not ever found in Ellen White's writing. So what it is, I don't know. You tell me, but it's not a disciple. So what's the solution? If you look around your church and you find like that 40 member church, whole year, nobody knew. It's FUBU church. For us, by us. And at the end, it's just us. I think the problem is a lack of understanding of the gospel. This is sort of like my, my thesis statement tonight. A full understanding of the gospel results naturally in a passion for lost people. It is not my job or your job to question people's salvation. But you have to ask yourself, if I have understood the gospel, yet I don't share Jesus with others, have I really understood the gospel? Being religious and being in love with Jesus are two different things. Here's a quote. No sooner is one converted than there is a born within a desire. Doesn't have to be coerced. It doesn't have to be guilted in. Doesn't have to be forced. It's a desire to make known to others what a precious friend he has found in Jesus. It's like people that are in love. You can't shut them up. People that aren't in love or cowboy fans can't shut them up. <laughs> can't say you love God and not love people. Luke 10, 27. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Pen and teller 
are two magicians that work in Las Vegas. Penn Gillette, one of them, he's a, an avowed atheist. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell him that? This is an atheist. So when I have conversations with people that want to grow their church, I hear reasons or excuses like this. We don't do public evangelism. It doesn't work. People don't respond. People are hard. doesn't matter where I go. They're always hard for a different reason. If I go to the Northwest, they're too hard because there's a lot of atheists there. If I go to the South, it's, they're too hard because there are too many Baptists. I just want to go somewhere where they're not. They're, they're hard everywhere. Too many, you fill in the blank. The church is too dysfunctional. So ask yourself this. What do, what do, what do all these things have in common? All these are religious, have religious connections. What do the buildings you worship in have in common with the schools you send your kids to and the programs you have at church and the events you, you, you lead out and the leadership trainings? What, what do all those things have one thing in common? What are they? Good answer. Sounded spiritual, but it's wrong. I mean, what, what's, what, what's the one thing all of these things have in common? This, this, is, this is not rocket science. It's very simple. You know what all these things have in common? It takes people. They take people, right? The reason we have buildings is because we want to have a gathering with people. The reason we have schools is we, we, we need to teach people. The reason we have programs is so people can come. The reason we have events is so people can learn. The reason we have leadership training is so people can get prepared. People. People. The reason we have, and do we do everything we do, is because of people. So when I hear somebody say, well, we're not really evangelistic. We're not really into public evangelism. What we're really saying is, I... I'm, I'm glad for somebody else to have worked hard and brought the people in, and now I'll just enjoy somebody else's labor. Because at the end of the day, the reason why we open our church, we exist for the ones who are not here yet. We don't exist for ourselves. We don't do things so we can be entertained. We don't do things so we can be satisfied. That's why we don't join churches that meet our needs. We join churches that are meeting the community's needs. Not about us. So, if the state of the church is one, that you can be considered a good Christian and never in your life do one single act of outreach, what is the solution? I would submit to you, is a clear and full understanding of the gospel. And I define the gospel, because when we throw words out there, people attach different meanings to them. I define the gospel as saved 
by grace, through faith, plus nothing, period. That's the gospel. When I understand I am saved by grace through faith plus nothing, period, and I really get it, and that takes the longest trip the, between two places, which is, it goes from my, it's 18 inches, goes from my head to my heart, and I really get it. The natural impulse of a converted heart is to tell other people about Jesus. But somehow we think that Jesus is just an appetizer. Jesus is something we is one of twenty of twenty eight. It's one of the things that we share. That yeah, Jesus is what we what we bring you in the door with. But but there's deeper truths. You have to understand that we never graduate from Jesus. It's not Jesus and the doctrines. It's Jesus in the doctrines. It's not Jesus and the prophecy. It's Jesus in the prophecy. It's not Jesus and anything else. It's Jesus in everything. So what happens when the gospel is not present? You rely on religion. And the fallback strategy of a gospel-less religion is three things. Compliance. Control. And consumerism. This is what God wants to do for us. Because at the end of the day, evangelism is a heart issue. I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. And give you a tender, responsive heart. That's what the gospel does. When that's not there, you rely. Let's see if you remember the three C's. I just put them up there. What are the three C's? Compliance, control, let's break those down. When the gospel is not present, you rely on compliance. You know what compliance is? Compliance is, I'll do the things I'm accustomed to doing just because. What do you do Sabbath morning? That's what I do. I go to church. That's what I do when I wake up. I read my Bible. That's what I do. Every two weeks, I turn in my tithe. That's what I do. Compliance is the type of Christian that is asking himself, what's the least Christian I can be and still make it to heaven? What's, 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 what's the, what, 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 where's the line? So I just straddle it. A compliance-driven Christian is always asking what's wrong with. It's always saying, listen, don't ask me to come in. I come here Sabbath morning for an hour. I give my tithe. I don't fall asleep in your sermon. Stop bothering me. Stop bothering me, asking me to volunteer and do stuff. Stop bothering me, telling me to do stuff. I, this, I'm just going to do the minimum possible. I had a friend in high school. We were really good buddies. First day of class, every single year, we would go to the teacher. And he would say, come with me, Roger. And we would go to the teacher. And he would say, hey, Roger and me want to know. Don't you hate those people, right? I, I don't want to know. You want to know. He, he, he will tell the teacher, uh, Roger and me want to know, what's the lowest grade that we can get and still pass the class? Is it a 71? Is it a 60? You know, because teachers grade differently, right? Some of them grade on a curve. So what's the lowest grade? Is it a 65? Is it a 71? Is it a 75? What, I mean, some, some crazy teachers... Put A's at 95. I mean, who does that? Please, don't. There's one in every crowd. So if you're here, we're talking about you. 
What's the lowest grade that I can get and still pass the class? Compliance Christian is like, I just want to do the minimum possible and still make it to heaven. Don't ask me to sacrifice. Don't ask me to give anything else. Don't ask me to give anything extra. I just want to comply. Isaiah says the same thing. And the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by what? You know what that is? Yeah, tell me because I don't. What, 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 what? Habits? Same thing? Most churches I attend, I can go to sleep in the beginning of the service and wake up at the end. And, it, and I will tell you exactly what happened. Some people, it's, in some churches, it's easier to add a fourth person to the Trinity than it is to add another song to the worship set. <laughs> we like it the same way. Don't bother me with innovation. When the pastor comes in, the pastor, you can be as innovative as you want as long as you keep everything the same. We're, we're afraid of anything new because it probably has to do with the Jesuits. We're freaked out about stuff and we live under conspiracy theories. Why? Because we don't want to be bothered. We don't want to find out how real the situation is. About 70% of our kids are taking off. We have churches full of people that are 55 and over. And yet we insist in changing nothing. And we have kept our tradition and lost our kids. And the reason we've done that is we held on to the things the way they are. We have no desire in adding anything. And you know why it is? Because your heart's not in it. Because I can teach you information, but only the Spirit of God can give you passion. And you can know things and go through them, but you can't teach passion. Only the gospel gives you passion. You know why? Because the gospel is not good advice. You can get good advice from Oprah. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. And it's a difference. Good advice is, I'm going to tell you some counsel on how you live your life. But good news is the fact that you were dead and now you're alive. The gospel is not that God takes a good, bad man and makes him good. The gospel is God, God takes a dead man and makes him alive. It's different. It's different. It's not just behavior modification. It's character transformation. It's not just, uh, what's the least I can give you, Lord? That's why you get people giving 10% of tithe and $1 of offering. I've been married for 26 years. Amen. That's my wife. And that's my granddaughter. And my wife and I, we have a date. Date night. We're going on a date night. My wife and I. And we go out to eat. Come home, watch a movie. Went out to eat one time and she said, um, we were having a conversation. And I, and I told my wife, Kathy, I want to grow as a husband. So anything that you think I can improve in, let me know. Mistake. 
because, you know, if you're married, if you're a man, if you're married, even if you say, don't tell me anything, they'll still tell you, right? <laughs> so when you say, tell me whatever, it's like, okay, here it comes. So she said, you're, she used a sandwich method. She said, you're a great husband and a great uh, a father, sandwich method, right? A great husband and a great father, and I so I admire spirituality. Right? And then came, the <laughs> <laughs> and then she, she said to me, listen, I, I really enjoy our dates. But I just think that our dates have become routine. It's the same thing. We go out to eat, then we go home and watch a movie, and we go out to eat, and go home and watch a movie, and go out to eat, go home and watch a movie. The only time we switch it up is we go watch a movie, and then we go out to eat. <laughs> he says, Roger, be creative. Mercy. Be creative. I ran a creativity like 25 and a half years ago. Uh, I'm like, but some, when somebody checks you, your first reaction when somebody is checking you, your first reaction is to defend yourself. And say, well, well you, other people don't go out with, with their wives. So I had all these things in my mind, but then I said, you know what? It's true. We always do the same thing. And the enemy of passion is routine the same thing. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just a different Sabbath, but it's the same thing. Going to church with no expectation of anybody getting healed, anybody getting saved, anybody coming to... There's no expectation. It's just, this is what I do on Sabbath morning. Please don't bother me. So I said, you're right. And I went to the newspaper and fixed it. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens. When you do something you're not used to doing. It just creates excitement. So I'm not talking about changing our doctrines. I'm trying to tell you when there is passion and there is the gospel. What comes first is not my traditions and the orders I'm used to. What comes first is the people that are far from God. And I will sacrifice so they can be saved. I will sacrifice. Compliance. What's the second C? When the gospel is not present, okay, if I have an issue that people are not really committing to volunteering and, and serving and, 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 and doing outreach and doing evangelism and sharing their faith with their neighbors and serving their neighbors and surrounding themselves with people that are far from God so they can enter into relationship with them so they can become followers of God, when I don't have that, it's because I don't have the gospel. And when I don't have the gospel, I rely on compliance, control. I'll do things because I fear the consequences if I don't. I'm afraid. See, when I can't make you do something because the gospel is not in you, I have to rely on other methods. And one very common method, this is a method that I grew up with, is control. Which is first cousin named fear. That's why I have to rely on conspiracy theories and I have to spend my time figuring out who is a Jesuit and who is not a Jesuit. I have to figure out about whether there's Jesuits in the, in the, conf, in the, in the, in the general conference and, who's, and I have to go and sidetrack myself into the three Ds of dysfunction, dress, diet, and drums. And I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going through all these other things. But the gospel, when the gospel is not present, we have, when the gospel is not present, you have to have an enemy. You have to have somebody that you can direct 
or you're animus against. So we rely on control. And the reason why, I, there was 40 kids that grew up with me in church. I'm a pastor's kid. I'm a third generation Seventh-day Adventist. There's nobody more Adventist in here than I am. <laughs> the 40 kids that I grew up with, there's two that remain in church. That's a steady diet that we grew up with. Watch out, the persecutions coming and the guillotines and the, the Pope. And we're more concerned about what's happening in Rome than is what's happening down the street. We don't know our next door neighbor, but we have a lot of information about the Pope. I'm not saying for you not to watch what's happening in the world events. I'm not saying that. You have to be aware. You have to understand where the world is heading. But you also have to have a passion for lost people. The reason most of my friends are not in church today because we were fed a steady diet of rules with no relationship. And there were rules with no relationship eventually produce rebellion. So most of my friends I grew up with, if things continue the way they're going, they will not be in heaven with me. I mean, I went to church a lot, man. I went to church a lot. I was in church. I was in church Sabbath morning for prayer, and then went to Sabbath school, then I went to first service, I went to second service, and I went afternoon outreach, and I did, uh, I, before the Sabbath, we had another service, and, and service on Sunday night, and a service on Monday night, and a service on Wednesday night, and a service on Friday night, and all day in Adventist school. I mean, I was immersed in religion. <laughs> and I was sleeping with my girlfriend and smoking weed and watching pornography. I suffered from spiritual schizophrenia, because religion... And control and fear changes your outward behavior temporarily. But grace and the gospel changes your heart permanently. So when the gospel is not present, you have to rely on other ways to keep people in line. So everybody has to think that me, like me, and everybody has to follow the ways that I say, and everybody has to be a mini-me. And God is not calling us to be mini-me's. God is calling us to be mini-him. <laughs> have to have people fall in line. The problem is this. Fear and control never work. I grew up in a country of fear and control. Cuba. The moment they invent a rule, people invented a way to get around it. Doesn't change people's hearts. Ellen White said it best than any writer I have ever read. She said, only by love is love awakened. You cannot force somebody to love and be passionate about Jesus. My son is a third generation Cuban, Rican. Mom, Puerto Rican, I'm Cuban. Cuban Rican, my son. My dad played baseball, I play baseball. Anybody baseball fans here? Yeah. Best sport ever, baseball. So my son is born. When I saw him born, I said, he's going to be a baseball player. When he was a little kid, I bought him a huge bat. And he would hit the ball, and I would throw it to him. And from little, he, would, he had a strong arm. I said, man, you're going to be the next major league player. You're going to get us all out of poverty. Because <laughs> we're pastors. We don't make a lot of money. 
Ever since he was born, I gave him a ball and a bat. I never played catch with footballs or soccer or tennis. Is that even like a male sport? <laughs> Ouch. Did I say it out loud? I was thinking it, but I'm sorry. He never saw rackets. He never saw golf clubs. He had a bat and a ball and a glove. And as soon as I could put him in a league, four years old, the boy was playing minus T ball. You know, they were hit, and there was five, and then it was six, and then it was seven, and then it was eight. My son is good at baseball, but he hates it. He said, his, his, uh, his coach said, I have never seen an arm like your son. That boy is good. He runs. He plays, catches against the wall, turns around, and throws it on a line to home plate. He's good. He's a good hitter. He's really fast, but he hates the sport. And he said, Dad, I don't want to play baseball. I want to play basketball. <laughs> and I said, boy. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good player. But his, his, his coach told me, your son is good, but his heart is not in it. There is no passion for the game. I can teach him the game. I can't teach him passion. You can teach somebody religion, but you can't put passion in it. The only thing that makes the switch between doing things in rote and doing things out of heart is the gospel. And Ellen White says, only by love is love awakened. You cannot shame, listen to me, you cannot shame people into conversion. You can't shame somebody into a conversion experience. You can't do it. You can't afraid people into the kingdom. Because it's like, fear is like a drug. They need higher and higher and higher doses. And crazier and crazier and crazier things. What's the first C? The first C was what? And the second one? And the third one? I'll do things as long as I see what's in it for me. Consumer said, all right, what can you give me? Let's see if I like this church. I'm looking for a church that is meeting my needs, not for one who is meeting the community's needs. I'm looking for one that has things that I like and things that, instead of asking yourself, where is God calling me to? I'm looking at it from my perspective. I have a Walmart about two miles from my house. I like going to Walmart. Some strange people, but, but it's cheap. I wish they'd open more lanes, but that's fine. It's like 25 lanes, one is open. I'm like, what? I like Walmart. I, I like it. Everything I want is there. It's a one-stop shop. I hate shopping. I'm like just like 99% of men. I don't like shopping. I want to get in and out. So having that convenience next to my house is great. But if tomorrow 
There is another store that opens up close to my house who has better prices and better selection. You better believe I'm changing stores. Because I don't, I don't own Walmarts. If it closes or it stays open, it doesn't affect me at all. Most churches, 80% of the people watch 20% of the people work. Most churches, 20% of the people give 80% of the money. In most church, in most churches, somebody wrote it like this. He said, church is like a football game where 22,000 people in desperate need of exercise are watching <laughs> 22 people in desperate need of rest. <laughs> a consumer is, is looking, what can I get out of this? What's in it for me? So that sacrificial love, and you can't force it. Ellen White puts it like this. The faith that is unto salvation is not a mere intellectual assent to the truth. It's not enough to believe about Christ. We must believe in Him. The only faith that will benefit us is that we embrace Him as a personal Savior, which appropriates His merits to ourselves. Genuine faith is life. A living faith means an increase of vigor, a confiding trust by which the soul becomes a conquering power. Compliance. Here's a couple more. This is some of my favorite. This, these two that are coming up, some of my favorite. The shortness of time is urged as an incentive for us to seek righteousness and to make Christ our friend. This is not... The great motive. Can we all read that together? So I know you're here with me. This is what? Not. What is not the great motive? What is not? Okay. It savors of selfishness. Is it necessary that the terrors of the day of God be held before us to compel us through fear to right action? This ought not to be. Now read this one with me. Jesus is attractive. Say it, say it. Jesus. Jesus is attractive. Jesus is attractive. He is full of love, mercy, and compassion. It is our privilege to have a calm, close, happy walk with Jesus every day we live. Amen. Jesus is attractive. That's why the gospel is about Jesus. Jesus. Don't ever get tired of mentioning his name. You know, sometimes, sometimes, uh, as I hear religious people, you, you, you'll see, one, one of, I, I can't judge your heart, but one of the ways you know when somebody has a relationship with Jesus is the fact they mention his name. Because a lot of religious conversation goes like this, well, I, God and the Lord and, and you know, our, our, our Father, and, it, it, and it's about, uh, you know, the God, when somebody says, yeah, God, well, you know, Islam says also God, and, and there's other, the Jews say God, so, so God, yeah, we, we, we know what we say, but, but there's other gods and there's other lords, but there's only one Jesus. So ne ne never get tired of saying his name, Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Jesus is attractive. Songs that sing not just about our experience with God, but the salvation of Jesus and what he did for us. The difference between singing about something and singing to someone. 
There need to be far more lessons in the ministry of the word of true conversion than are the arguments of the doctrines. For it is far easier and more natural for the heart that is not under the control of the Spirit of Christ to choose doctrinal subjects rather than the practical. There are many Christless discourses giving no more acceptable to God than was the offering of Cain. They are not in harmony with God. Even Ellen White grew in her understanding of the gospel. In the beginning of her ministry, she commissioned a picture that depicted a religious experience. And this is what she commissioned. And you see there in the forefront the cross and next to it the law. At the end of her life, after her husband died, she commissioned another picture. And you can tell just by the picture her understanding of grace and the gospel. You can see by just what she puts in the forefront where her heart was. This one and this one. See, it's not that we diminish the law or we eliminate it. We just put it in its proper context. The gospel is what makes a heart pulsate with passion for God and love for others. And at the center of the gospel is Jesus. So if I am in a church that has very little evangelistic enthusiasm, I would preach about Jesus until the cows came home. Jesus and the doctrines and Jesus and the prophecy and Jesus in the morning and Jesus in the evening and Jesus and Jesus. And sometimes, some, along the way, something's going to happen because you cannot come in the perimeter of the gospel without being shot down by God's arrows. Jesus. The Bible is not a, it's not a book that is centered on man. It's not about us being good enough to make it. It's about God sending his son that was perfect to save us. It's not about done, do, it's about done. It's not about me being good enough to somehow at the end getting to heaven and saying, yeah, glory to the Lamb and to me. Because I did my part. There's nothing you can contribute. There's nothing you can bring. When you realize that a dead man cannot change himself, and you fall at the feet of Jesus and say, I can't do it, but I trust in your merits. Then you start working not towards victory, but from victory. And you're not doing it because you want to be saved, but because you are saved. The Bible is a book about Jesus. And our churches should be places about Jesus. I have been at so many churches that have sat down, went through the whole service. Jesus never mentioned one time. There were quotes read. There were hymns sung. But no Jesus. Lots of announcements, but no Jesus. 
People don't come to church to hear about the next car wash. They come to church to encounter Jesus. Jesus. So this is what I'm closing today's message with. Through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, there is a red line with the blood of Jesus. No matter where you start, you always finish at the cross. No matter what topic, it always has to be centered around Jesus. Jesus is what gives meaning to the gospel. This is very, I'm going to put some things in here. Don't try to read it. Okay, just follow along. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who through innocently slayed has blood now that cries out not for our condemnation but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void not knowing whether he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not, know, did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love for me. Now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you love us because you did not, not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. Jesus is a true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and disciple us. Jesus is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the new and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck down with the rods of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for us and saves his stupid friends. Anybody say amen? Yeah. There were some stupid friends, right? Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory through her they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, and who did not just risk his life, he gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, the innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He is the true temple. He is the true prophet. He is the true priest. He is the true king. He is the true sacrifice. He is the true lamb. He is the true light. And he is the true bread. The Bible is not a book about man meeting God. It's about a God that meets man. The Bible is a book about Jesus. So if we wanted to be evangelistic in 2017, if we want to transform our churches to be centers of gospel transformation, when I understand my job is to fish them, it's God's job to clean them. When we have no professional 
smellers that walk around trying to smell who's smoking and who's not. So we don't have people worried about minutia and forgetting the center of the gospel. We want churches that will impact communities in a way that if we were ever to leave, they will cry before, because we left. We had churches that are intentional in spreading the gospel in our communities. It first has to be a reality for us. I have to be in love with Jesus. So I want to pray tonight so the gospel may be real for me. Close, close tonight with a story. One of the worst, I'm just going to open my heart, just going to tell you what this journey that I took this year and the first of this year. And this is kind of personal, but we're, we're friends, so... Now that I'm on this other side, I can look back and, and share because maybe somebody can identify with me. One of the worst things that can happen to somebody is, especially if you're, if you're in ministry and you're a follower of God, one of the worst things that can happen to you is for you to get good at what you do. Because when you get good at what you do, you tend to rely on your talents instead of your creator. So 2016, as I looked at the year, I held six evangelistic series. The highest amount of people that have come in my ministry happened in 2016. A series that we organized resulted in close to 1,000 baptisms. I felt incredibly proud of what we did. Yet, when Christmas time came around, it's time to decompress. It's time to, to return to normalcy. I felt the Holy Spirit working on my heart. Anybody have the Holy Spirit slap you around sometimes? <laughs> and, he, and, and the distinct impression, I, didn't, I don't hear voices, but the distinct impression that I had in my heart over and over was this. Everything that happened this year, you did it in your power. Check your personal, private walk with God. And I analyzed my personal, private walk with God. And I realized and I confessed to God that when I studied the Bible and prayed every day, it was to prepare messages to preach to others. The time that I spent in prayer and personal devotion was non-existent except for in preparation for things that I was going to do. And God convicted into my heart and said, imagine what I could do if you really relied on my spirit. So in the beginning of this year, I made a personal decision and I said, this is what happened to me. I sleep next to my phone. So the first thing that I do when I wake up is I look at my phone. Anybody have that problem? Or is it just me? I'm the only sinner here. That's okay. <laughs> so the first thing I do is, is I look at my phone. And I look at the crazy stuff that people put on Facebook. And then I'm like, I can't believe, what? No. And then like 10 minutes later, 
I'm already mad. Now it's time to pray and read the Bible. So this year, different. Phone stays there. In fact, tonight I didn't even bring my phone. That's really crazy. First thing I do when I, when I first wake up is pray the prayer of Jabez. And after the prayer of Jabez, I spend time in prayer. And then I read my Bible for myself. And then I read things that have to be with my soul. I don't know how it happened, but this year our neighbors that we have been working for a long time finally invited us over to eat. There's connection with them. Things are happening in my life that I'm seeing God work. Things, my son, my daughter who loves Jesus is great, but my son who's always been tenuous, this, today we're getting on the plane and my, my wife is, 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 is coming right next to me and, and, and we're texting back and forth, you know, and they, they don't call, they text, and they don't write words, they do emojis. And my, daughter's, and, my, and my wife is crying next to me, and, she, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? And she's like, look what he texted me. And my son, who's tenuous, who's like, do I stay, do I go, do I like church, do I don't like... All of a sudden, he's having this, this spiritual conversations, and he's texting emojis of people praying. This is really weird for him, because he's not the spiritual type. So I'm, think, I'm seeing things happening in my life. I'm seeing things happening in my church. I'm seeing things happening with my neighbors. I'm, still, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm seeing things happen with my wife. She's actually paying attention to me. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing things happen with my son, and I'm, I'm seeing God work and operating and creating miracles, and I'm seeing, I mean, just last week, I was preaching in, in, an, event, in, a, in an event and these people that had never come to church for the first time, in fact, in the middle of my, my sermon, they went outside and smoked a cigarette and came back in, all full of tattoos. Full, I mean, person, they're just really far from God. Not that tattoos are going to make you far from God, but he, his, in his context, it was. And when I made an appeal, I didn't have to beg. I didn't have to plead. I just said, if you're here and you want to meet Jesus, it's just an anointing. You can be successful at what you do without the spirit but you can be successful in the long run without the spirit so i'm telling you i'm seeing a renewal in my heart and it starts with me falling in love again with jesus and the gospel i have a, i have enough training and information i went to seminary <laughs> i have enough training and information to last me three lifetimes. What we need in our churches is not more information, it's more transformation. And the transformation only happens when you fall in love with Jesus, and you fall in love with Jesus by understanding the gospel. So I'm just here tonight. If somebody identifies with that story, and you're saying, man, I've been just running on talents. I've been running on what I can do. Because when you rely on what you can do, you get what you can do. But you, when you rely on what God can do, you get what God can do. And I'm just, I'm wondering tonight, is there anybody that needs prayer and wants to say, hey, I just want this year, I don't want last year to be like this year and this year to be like next year. I don't want the next time to be like the last time. I want some di something different. I want a fresh anointing from the Spirit of God. And I want to know and fall in love again with what made me a Christian in the first place, which is the gospel, which is a dead man coming to life. Is there anybody that needs prayer tonight and said, Pastor, can you pray for me? If you're here 
and, 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 you, and you need this, this specific prayer, okay? Join, join me, join me, just some of you come here, some of you stay right there. If you, if you need to come to the altar and just connect with God again, it's impossible that 18, 20 million people can share the gospel with 6 billion humans. It's impossible that 20 million Adventists share the gospel with 6 billion people. It's impossible. But it's possible that one God, through his spirit and through his power, can get that accomplished. So I don't look at reaching the world. I look at understanding the gospel myself and reaching one neighbor that will reach another neighbor that will reach another neighbor. I need God's spirit in my heart. And I need God's spirit in my life. And I need God's spirit in my church. So let's pray for that tonight. Heavenly Father, we don't want to rely on talent. We don't want to rely on what we can do. We don't want to rely on methods. We want to rely on the master. Because with you, our methods, our information, our skills, our talents go much farther, have a greater impact. So first that we want to do is that if we're going to be able to lead our churches into a greater and deeper experience with God, we have to be the first ones. We don't want to be the lid of our churches. We want to be passionately, intentionally, and permanently in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ that saved us even though we were sinners, that tells us even though you are a sinner, I can still use you. Help us fall at the foot of the cross. Revive our thirst and desire for your presence because your presence changes everything. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we are able to repent of us relying on our history, on our methods, on our talents, on our knowledge. Where has that taken us? Help us to rely on you. And maybe you've allowed crisis to happen in our world and in our church to remind us that you're still on the throne and that you're still in charge and that you're still available for us. So today we come with humble hearts and with open arms and we say, we don't want this to be a momentary experience. We want to be this, this year, a year-long experience, a lifetime of experience that every time we go back into our patterns and habits, we remember this night and remember the commitment we've made to run passionately after your hearts. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray, amen. amen. Hug two people next to you. Tell them, God bless you.
appreciate it. Read my mind. <laughs>